Before I start, um, I'd like to pray, and if we're all honest with ourselves, we would all say that we need God's help this morning to focus our hearts rightly, to have our ears open attentively to the Word of God. So will you bow with me as we pray and ask for His help? Father, I want to ask for your help this morning. Lord, I know, thankfully, that the Word of God tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace, not boldly because we have anything good in of ourselves that we can present to you, but boldly because we can come into your presence because of what Jesus did on behalf of sinners. He's the righteous one, Lord. He deserves answers to prayer. I don't. And so, Father, I come to you in his name asking for help this morning. Help me to preach this text rightly. And then, of course, for all of us, myself included, Please, Lord, help me to listen to the word of God rightly, to receive it as I ought, Lord, to turn from those things in my life that are not pleasing to good and to, to anxiously and joyfully grab on to those things that are true and good and right. Help me with that. Please help us with that, we pray in Christ's perfect name. Amen. So yes, only two verses this morning, and rather sad verses, aren't they, about um, when Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus or first had the thoughts to do that. For those of you who are visiting, it's not my practice usually just to grab two verses. We are preaching all the way through the book of Mark, but these two by themselves are enough to fill up an entire sermon. In fact, many, but we're just going to tackle them with one message this morning. I've titled the message this morning, Short-term gain, long-term loss. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, and we're going to see why I've titled it that, and it'll become even more clear, if it's not already, why I titled it that as we go through this text. But the name Judas Iscariot, as you all know, has become synonymous with deception, with evil, betrayal, especially betrayal in exchange for money, right? The wicked deed has been referenced in, in poetry, in music, even in, in, in movies. I can think of one, the, the movie Braveheart. The queen comes to William Wallace and says, hey, I'll give you this money, let's just call off the wars. And he says, so you want me to become Judas? Meaning, I'll pay you if you'll just do what we want you to do. So even in movies, it's this person is referenced. In fact, even calling someone a Judas would imply that he's an evil lover of money who'd even sell his own mother for a little more money. Now, you've likely met many people with different names of one of the 12 apostles. We've all met a, a John and a, a Matthew, a Peter, even an Andrew. But I can almost guarantee can almost guarantee that you don't have any friends named Judas, do you? It would be like naming someone Adolf. This is our son Adolf. What? You don't like that name? Why would you not like that name? Judas is not going to make it into most popular baby names 2021 or 22 for that matter. This name will forever be tied to the wicked actions done by the man associated with that name forever. And because of who was betrayed, we can say 
with certainty that it was the worst and also the most foolish betrayal there's ever been or ever will be because there's been no one better than Jesus walked this earth. So three places we're going to go in this sermon this morning, okay? Three, three areas. We're going to look at more details of what Judas did that day. We're also going to talk about how he likely got to that point. So that's number one. Number two, I'd like to warn you and help you see signs in your own life that might suggest you're also on a slippery slope to doing something similar. Number three, lastly, we're going to make comparisons between the life of Judas and another individual that we've looked at in recent messages. Actually, just last Sunday's message. We're going to do some comparisons and contrast between those two people. And it's going to be pretty enlightening, I think, because it was for me as well to see them, once you put them together, to say, oh, wow, I did not notice that before. So that's where we're going. So how does someone go from having a desire to follow Jesus, even being hand-picked by Jesus, which Judas was, and then also spending years living with Jesus, right by his side, than to betraying Jesus. How does that happen? I mean, have you thought about that? Have you, have you thought about all that Judas was and all the privileges he had and also what he did? How do you cross that chasm? How does that, how does that work? It's an excellent question. One that's even a shame to actually have to ask that question, isn't it? Because you think all those things I mentioned at the beginning of the question, being handpicked by Jesus, being around Jesus, probably also being excited to follow Jesus in the first place, would never allow the last part of that question to even come about, betraying Jesus. So let's talk about those more details that I promised. Thankfully, Mark isn't the only gospel who records this, what happened here. Matthew and Luke also mention this happening and give us a few more details. I'm so thankful. I mentioned this before. We should be so thankful that we have four gospels, four gospels that give us accounts, differing accounts. I don't mean different in that they contradict one another. I mean, they're all from different angles of the same life of Jesus Christ. It's quite, quite a gift. I'm so thankful we have those four gospels. So if you think, why isn't there a fifth or a sixth or a seventh? Four is more than sufficient. More than sufficient. So let's look at a few more details. I made us a slide, uh, an image here for Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. You say, why is part of it bold and underlined? This is the part that's unique to Matthew. The part that we don't get from Mark or Luke. That part is unique to Matthew. So let's look at it and see what we See, we see that he goes to chief priests, which we already knew. But then this, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. This is new information that we didn't get from Mark. So as you might recall from our text, we didn't get any dialogue. Our text from Mark gave us no dialogue between the two parties. Here, we actually get quotes of what was said between Judas 
and the chief priests. Matthew's account, we hear Judas wants something. He's interested in what he can get for himself. What does he say? What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? I'm interested in what I can get from this deal. So what will you give me? Judas's mindset must have at this point been something like this. We don't know. Of course, I'm not going to try to put words in his mouth. But I can look at his actions and say, this is probably a thought process going on in his head. Something like this. All this discipleship stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of this. All this stuff. You know, it's no longer about Jesus. This Jesus' mission, Jesus' kingdom. Forget all this traveling around business and spreading the truth of the gospel stuff. What about me? What about my mission? What about building my kingdom? What about saving my life? What about Judas? Somehow softens it when people speak in third person. Like if instead of saying, what about me? If I said, you know, what about Cohen? What's Cohen going to get? Kind of softens it. But saying, what about me? Sounds a little more selfish, doesn't it? Why? Well, because it is selfish. That phrase actually, what about me? Almost, it's very few times that you can think that phrase and it not be wrong for you to think it. Almost any time the phrase, what about me, comes into your mind, it's almost always a selfish and and sinful thing. So much so, you're going to think I'm strange for this, but that's okay. We don't actually even allow that phrase in our home. I don't say it. I don't allow the children to say it. You just don't say what about me? Because, like I said, most of the time, it's wrong. And we have a, a saying in my house, if daddy says it, you can say it. If daddy doesn't say it, then you can't say it. So there's been certain times when I've said the word, like, idiot. And they're like, can we say idiot now? I'm like, no, and, and daddy should not have said that. <laughs> but Judas, that day, had no such rule. He was thinking, what about me. What will you give me, he said, if I deliver him over to you? What's in it for number one? So the point here, Judas, Judas rather, had stopped focusing on Jesus and began focusing on self. Jesus had stopped, I'll get it right. Judas had stopped focusing on Jesus and started focusing on self. We need, to, we need to notice that. I need to point that out, okay? Next, we know he had selfish motives. We learned last week that when um, John's gospel told us that he didn't, um, told us that when he mentioned selling that expensive perfume, he said, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? For those of you who weren't here last week, we learned about when Mary Magdalene broke open the extremely expensive and fancy and rare and hard-to-cultivate bottle of perfume, which was a year's salary for this bottle of perfume, we're told in the Scriptures. And she pours the expensive, it's called nard, it's like a fancy oil. She pours it on Jesus' head and on Jesus' feet. 
And he honors her for such a beautiful act. And Judas looks at it and says, why this waste? Why wasn't that sold for 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor? Then John gives us some commentary and he says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the keeper of the money bag and would often help himself to it. So Judas loved Judas. Judas cared about Judas, not the poor, and not even Jesus. So a few more details that, about this event are found in Luke's gospel. Luke 22, got us, uh, an image for that as well. Again, the underlined portions, the underlined and bolded portions are what are unique to Luke, what we don't learn about anywhere else in Matthew nor in Mark. Just Luke, a few more details here. Paint a fuller picture for us about what was going on that day. Here we, we start with this. Then Satan entered into Judas. And then also in verse 6, so he consented. We get that also to what they said. Hey, we'll give, him, we'll give you this amount of money. He consents to it. What's that mean? Get those, in case you don't know what that consented means. It meant like he was okay with it. He was cool with it. He said, I'll take it. And then he wants to betray him in the absence of a crowd. So all that's unique to Luke. So we learn that Satan was behind this as well. We're told here that Satan entered into Judas. There was a a saying by a very popular, somewhat popular comedian in the 70s. His name was Flip Wilson. He made this uh, saying popular. um, The devil made me do it. You guys have heard that phrase, the devil made me do it. He was the one who coined that, and it's been used for a long time ever since, and he would put that into his comedy skits. Well, we know from Luke's gospel that the devil entered into Judas, but can we say the devil made him do it? Can we ever say the devil made me do it? Well, look at John 13, verses 1 and 2. John 13, verses 1 and 2. We get a little bit more um, behind the scenes of what was happening with the devil and Judas also. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, look at this in verse 2. Is it, is it up there? Yep. When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So this idea, this thought, this temptation came from the devil. The devil is the one, we're told here, who put this thought into Judas's heart to do this so we further know where this original idea was from, who planted it. But we can't say that the devil made him do it. Because Luke's text also is very clear. It says, so he consented. They said, we'll give you this amount of money. And he says, I'll take that. No one's ever going to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment, number one, and say, first of all, I had no clue you existed. Because Romans 1 says, because of what's created, just the creation itself tells us that there's a God. 
Now, creation's not enough for us to get saved by. Creation doesn't tell us God exists in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus came roughly 2,000 years ago, died to take the punishment for sinners, shed his blood, three days later rose again from the dead. We don't get any of that from creation. But from creation, we do know that it came from somewhere. Actually, the word creation implies that there was a creator. And so... None of us, number one, will be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, I, I had no clue there even was a God. That's not going to happen. Secondly, no one is going to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, the devil made me do it. Now, Adam and Eve tried that in the garden, as you might recall. Goes to Eve. God says, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. And held his snake gun to my head and forced me to eat. I did not want to. Trust me. <laughs> he simply said, look at it. Doesn't it look good for making you wise? After all, God knows. And the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Mm. He doesn't want that. So look at that fruit. Looks pretty good, doesn't it? And it'll make you wise. Uh, yes, yes, it's a yes, there's one rule that God gave you, and it'd be totally breaking that one rule. But he chose to do this. He chose to do it. He consented. He chose to follow the temptings and leadings of the devil, just as we all do when we're all tempted by him to sin against God. And the truth is, I don't think the devil has to do very much. Does he work? Is he active in this world? Absolutely. I don't think he has to do very much sometimes to get us to sin. Why? Because our hearts naturally want to sin. They just do. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. We already have the desire to do evil within us. The devil usually just makes us look at it a bit harder, makes us just, just look and say, hey, just look and stare a bit longer. Wouldn't that be nice? And he's really good at causing us to forget the consequences. He pulls the Jedi mind trick. These aren't the consequences you're looking for. Move along. And we forget all about it. And we say, I'll just look at the pleasures I'll get from that. And then we do that thing, and then all of a sudden, guilt, right? How do I know how that works? Because I've been there. I struggle with that. You struggle with that. There's forgiveness with the Lord Jesus. Those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know he already took the punishment for that sin. And isn't that good news? Earlier we said Jude, Judas had stopped focusing on Jesus and began focusing on self. Remember me saying that? Now we also learn that Judas also stopped listening to Jesus and started listening to the devil. So here, I made this slide for you with those two points on there. Who you focus on and who you listen to 
will not only influence where you go, but what you do, either for good or for evil. Who you focus on and what you listen to will influence where you go and what you do, either for good or evil. So the two bullet points are this. Focus on Christ, and you'll go where his will leads you. Second thing, listen to Christ, and he'll do his work through you. Tried to make those rhyme enough for them to be memorable. So that's true. And we learn those principles from looking at the sad consequences of a life of a man who didn't do those things. Now, the second part, I said, we're also going to talk about the warnings against the way of Judas. Because guess what? As a minister of the gospel, and also as your friend, as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, I don't want this for you. Why? Well, because I care about you. I don't want you to go this way. I don't want to see anybody who I know, love, care about, even people I don't know and love and care about, I don't want to see them going this way. So it would be right and good of me to warn you and to help you not to go this way. So let me warn you and help you see signs in your own life that might suggest you're on a slippery slope going towards something like this in your own life. All right. This is going to be a little bit more quick than the other one was. Jesus told a parable once. It's my favorite parable, actually, about the sower and the seeds. There was a sower throwing out these seeds, and the seeds fell on four different types of soil, as you might recall. The path, stony ground, thorny ground, and then good soil. And Jesus tells about what happens with all those different seeds. His disciples come to him and say, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, let me tell you, the four soils are four different types of people. He says, and the seed is the word of God. And as this type of person hears the word, this happens. And this type of person hears the word, this happens. And, and he tells about all these different people, the four different soils. And only one of the soils actually bears fruit. Only one of the soils does the seed actually take root in and, and grow and produce a crop. 30, 60, 100 times as much, he says. And so the other three produce no fruit. And they're about people who... Either start to follow and then fall away. or But either way, there's only one of those people that are actually saved and show themselves to be saved because of the actual bearing of fruit. They persist and persevere with an honest and obedient heart, it says. Well, one of the soils represents Judas, the focus of our sermon. One of those soils represents Judas and what happened to him. Because he didn't start out that way. I mean, I really doubt when Jesus chose him to be one of the 12, he was thinking, sweet, now I'm in, and maybe someday I'll get 30 pieces of silver if I turn this guy over. That's just my, own, that's my goal in life, 30 pieces of silver. No, I, I, I don't think when he first started following Jesus, that was his life's goal. So Luke 8, 14 says, And as for what fell on the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is, recording, is, is recorded as saying, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are deceitful. In what way? Well, riches are like this. Hey, once you get this much, you'll be happy. Well, then you get that much, and then you say, I want more. And then the riches say, well, then if you get this much, then you'll be happy. Ooh. And then you get that much, and you say, well, if, you know, I've heard of these people called millionaires. 
I'd like to have a million one day. And so, oh, I got a million. I'm a, wow, I can't believe it. I'm a millionaire. But you know, one million feels pretty good. Two million might feel just as good. And it also causes you to pursue after more and more and more and more. And then guess what you're not pursuing when you're pursuing money? You're not pursuing the Lord. You're pursuing money. And you're thinking about money. And you're trusting in money. Because the truth is, the more money you have, the more, number one, you can have. And number two, the more trouble you can get out of, frankly. And that's just the truth. Because... Well, it just is. I was going to give some examples, but that would be... It'd just be unprofitable at this time. So we're just going to stick to the text. But I have no doubt that Judas was once excited about meeting Jesus. I believe he was excited when he first met Jesus. I think he was. I really do. I have no doubt that he was thrilled on the day Jesus chose him as one of the 12. You've got to remember, there's a lot of people following Jesus. And then Jesus, one night, goes up on a mountain to pray all night long, comes down from that mountain and then walks among those many people and picks 12 of them. I really believe that when he was chosen, he was like, oh, wow, the teacher wants me to be one of his 12. Are you kidding me? Wow. And I also fully believe that Judas was somewhat intrigued and attracted to the things that Jesus taught. I do. I believe that when Jesus first, when Judas first heard Jesus talking and saw what he was doing, I believe he was intrigued and interested and wanted to know more. I do. I believe all that was true about Judas. I don't think he was just some seething demon just pretending the whole time. I don't. But Judas thought he could serve two masters. I do believe that Love of money was always in Judas's heart. I do believe that. And the more he got to handle money and hold the money bag and see it and touch it and steal from it, because we know he did, the Bible tells us he did, the more he wanted it. Because remember, riches are deceitful. You get some, you always want more. I promise you. You youngsters in here, I remember being your, your age. I remember being given a $100 bill once and being like, what? I'm rich. I mean, I'm talking like rich, rich. And then I remember getting a job and getting paychecks that were over 100 each one. And then thinking, I'm really rich. And then I remember getting married and having bills and things like that and realizing I'm not rich. And I remember getting my first like real job, like a career and then getting paid that kind of money and thinking, wow, we, we're doing pretty good. And then we had five children. And then I realized, this isn't that much money. And now, that $100 bill that, that used to thrill me, thrill me. If, I, if someone handed me $100 bills, I would be so grateful. But now I understand yeah, that's not even going to get like a fifth of our groceries now. I mean, even for a few weeks. Because we seven people in our home, three meals a day. You know, don't you, we eat 21 meals a day. You realize that, right? 21 meals a day. So $100, not that much anymore, in my mind. 
Though it's still a lot, isn't it? Judas touches that money, sees the money, and he wants more money because that's the way money works. But Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. Listen, for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Jesus ended by saying this, you cannot serve God and money. Those are Jesus' words. Let me ask you this. Is there something, anything, that's nagging and pulling and distracting and demanding in your life that is doing that so much so, the nagging and demanding and pulling, that it's pulling you away from being fully devoted to Jesus? Is there something in you that's causing you to be less obedient to Jesus. Whatever it is, let me tell you this. It's from the wicked one. Anything that's pulling you away from Jesus Christ is not of the light. It's of the darkness, and it will ruin you. Why do I say this? Because I'm an angry Baptist preacher, and that's what we're supposed to do. You know, we have a class in seminary How to be an angry Baptist preacher, 101. That's a joke. I'm saying this because I care about you, not because it's part of my job description, but because it's part of Scripture. And I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, committed to telling you the truth, committed to telling me the truth, and we cannot serve God and money and anything that's keeping you from full allegiance to Jesus Christ. Know this, its desire is to overpower you and devour you and it will ruin you. And that's the truth. With the help of Jesus Christ, you have to put that to death. The first part of that sentence was the most important part of that sentence. With the help of Jesus Christ, you have to put that to death. I'm not saying you need to just muster up a little more strength and do better. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need Jesus to help you do better because that's the only way you're going to get victory over sin because it's a spiritual battle, and so you have to fight with spiritual weapons. How do you do that? Number one, acknowledge that you've got that problem within you. Acknowledge whatever it is that's pulling you away from Jesus. Acknowledge that. Number two, repent of it because it is sinful and bad and will ruin you. Number three, pray for God to increase your hatred of that thing and also increase your love for him because you've got to replace that love. There's a love within you for something sinful. I have felt it. You have felt it. You feel it. You like it. It tastes good when you do it. It's usually followed by great guilt though afterwards, isn't it? You've got to pray for God to replace your love helping you hate that thing more and helping you love him more. It's got to be replaced. It's got to be replaced. You are a pleasure seeker in your heart. You want pleasure. The thing is, though, we seek the pleasure in the mud puddle and the filth and the dung heap, and we say, that's pleasurable to my flesh. And Jesus is saying, you were made for something way better. You were made to glorify me. You're made to honor me. And God has to replace our taste buds so that we stop desiring that and start desiring what's true and real and right and good. 
So the third part of the message then is this, the comparisons and contrasts between Mary Magdalene and Judas Iscariot. Did you know that in both Matthew and in Mark, what Mary did immediately after that is what Judas did? And I believe that's on purpose. I believe they purposefully recorded it that way to show you this beautiful thing Mary did and then this horrible thing Judas does. It's on purpose, I believe. I really do. Mary pouring the expensive and aromatic nard on Jesus' head and, and feet as an act of worship and then this horrible act that Judas did in, in selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Look at this image I made. I laid out for you. I was noticing these comparisons and, and contrasts between the two accounts. And then, as I opened up the commentary, um, Danny Aiken's commentary, he also noticed them and had them in a, a nice um, layout like this. So these things up here, I totally borrowed them from Danny Aiken. So just know that, okay? He, did, he organized them very well. So isn't this good? Look at this. Mary gave what she could to Jesus. That was the title of our Last message, she's, she's done what she could. And Judas took what he could get for Jesus. She gives what she could to Jesus. Judas takes what he could get for Jesus. Mary blessed her Lord. Judas betrays his Lord. Mary served him as a savior and Judas sold him like a slave. Why do I say that? Where did I get that slave talk? That's new. I just introduced that in there. Where did I get that from? Did you know in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, God not only gives history of what Moses did and the 10 plagues and all that, but it also gives details about what Moses learned on the mountain about the law. Some of those laws are how to just live among your neighbor. One of those laws says, this is what you do if your animal, your ox, gets loose and kills someone. There's even rules for that in the Bible. Little detailed things. You know what it says? If your ox get, gets loose and gores someone's slave, it says you are to pay him, the owner of the slave, you are to pay him the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. Isn't it interesting that these Pharisees, who by the way would have had very, very large portions of Exodus memorized, that was part of their job, they agreed, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. That's what we think about that man. The same value as a slave. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that? Did you ever make that connection? And then lastly, Mary, remember, she's forever remembered for her devotion. Jesus even says, wherever this gospel's preached, what she's done for me will also be recorded in memory of her. He made a point to say that. But Judas will forever be remembered for his betrayal. Forever. Like I said at the beginning, that name is now synonymous with betraying Jesus. You know, Judas didn't even spend the money. Did you guys know that? He didn't even keep it. Listen to what Matthew 27, 3 through 5 says. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned... He changed his mind 
and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what's that to us? See to it yourself. Basically, tough luck, pal, get over it. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Let me end with this. There are many things in life clamoring for our attention. And the devil is also doing his best to deceive us and tell us that these things are better than Christ. More to be desired than Christ, more to be followed after than Christ, more to be obeyed than Christ. There's a two-line poem that an old minister friend of mine taught me, and I've always remembered it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's the truth. We want to be remembered for one and not the other. We want to put in short-term losses I mean, uh, yeah, uh, short-term losses for Jesus in this life, but get long-term gains in heaven. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be like Jesus. I mean, Judas, rather, and have a short-term gain and a long-term loss. He has gotten what he deserves, according to Jesus, the son of perdition. This is a warning for all of us, is it not? It's a good warning for all of us to focus on Jesus and to listen to Jesus, not focus on self and listen to the devil. Amen. Let's bow. Lord, thank you for this word. Uh, So much wrapped up in two verses, so much in two verses that we can pull out from the rest of scripture and learn from. And Father, I pray, please, Lord, use this in all of our lives to help us to avoid catastrophe and to lean more closely to and lean more harder into Jesus Christ. Help us to renounce those things that we know are damning our souls and help us to cling so tightly to our Lord Jesus Christ who paid the punishment for sinners and rose again from the dead. We pray this in his perfect name. Amen. Let's stand again.